Welcome to the Grow Your Money Podcast, where we're on a mission to change how we talk about money. Our fireside chats are the heart of our show, bringing the energy and excitement of in-person events straight to your ears. We aim to connect you with inspiring voices and stories that matter, sharing relatable experiences and insights that will transform your financial life. Everyone deserves access to practical financial knowledge. So we're making money conversations relatable by inviting guests from all walks of life to share their real-life experiences with money. But this isn't your typical money show. We look at the emotional, psychological, and cultural factors that shape a relationship with money. So hit subscribe and join us for another episode of the Grow Your Money Podcast. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. And welcome to this episode of our Founders Story. Mm-hmm. Really excited to be here with Fiona and Michael, our amazing partners for the Grow Your Money Challenge. And you guys are like ride or die, aren't you? <laughs> you pulled in at every point, literally grew. We don't have a choice, do we? No, you don't. No, we don't. <laughs> no, you don't. So it's an amazing, amazing opportunity for us to just go under the bonnet and look at your journey at Radiant and Brighter. You guys are just a wealth of experience. I was sharing um, with someone that even just last night you were challenging some of the uh, materials that we're putting out from your experience and, and very, very validly so. But everyone, everyone needs a Fiona and Michael in their life. I'll just say that. You say so, that when you have us here. We'll wait to your essay. <laughs> in the next episode. <laughs> So I'm Tina Matembe and I'm the founder of Moneymatics and very, very happy to bring to you the Grow Money Challenge. It's such a great privilege to be able to bring the podcast to you today and be hosting Radiant and Brighter's founders, Fiona and Michael Matovo, very inspirational couple who have done such great things for a long time. They are long in the tooth in this field for sure. <laughs> so I'll go over to you, Michael, and let you introduce yourself, please. Yes, my name uh, is Michael Matovo. Thank you so much, Tina, for inviting us. I'm a co-founder and director of Radiant and Brighter. As you said, we've uh, run for just over 10 years doing what we do. Um, and yeah, it's been uh, a very interesting journey. Interesting journey. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice to have you. Very nice to have you. Over to you. I am Fiona Matovo, um, co-founder as well. And uh, you want me to say a bit about Radiant and Brighter? Yes, please. Yeah. So we set up Radiant and Brighter in 2012, started off as a business startup. In fact, we decided we were going to go private because we were cautious about funding and we'll go into that later, I think. But we wanted to make sure that whatever we do, we're not seen to be uh, just begging for money. And we had already had other challenges, you know. Um, as coming, being new into the country. So we just wanted to set up a company. Within two years, we realized no one was going to trust us. <laughs> yep. So we changed and became a social enterprise because we wanted to work with the communities. We'd come from our own lived experience and we'd realize that when you come here as a migrant to a person that's coming into the country as new, you are not valued, you're not treated like you have anything to bring other than to be helped. And uh, because we couldn't find work, we decided uh, how clever set up Radiant and Brighter. Um, obviously, we were not paid for very many years. We couldn't pay ourselves. But uh, it, it's paid off. Uh, we've done quite a bit of work. And over the past 10 years, so we became a community interest company in 2014. 
And over the past 10 years, um, we've, we've taken a journey from supporting people to just orient themselves into the new communities. Um, and soon after, obviously, we'd come from that place where we're not allowed to work, not allowed to claim benefits, and therefore it was such a challenge. And so we started supporting other people because once you've been, you've had an employment gap, um, whether it's one, two, five years, and especially if you're coming from another country and you are black, then getting into work is really difficult here in Scotland. And so we decided that we would then support people because I'd been in the UK quite a long time, I thought. I'd been here 10 years, Mike, or five years, and we thought we knew our way around. Well, well, it was a wake-up call. And so we started supporting people into employment, very quickly realized that no matter how much you trained, you needed more training. Yeah. Because you were not seen as bringing something and therefore, the more you train, the more you are told either you haven't been working for a period of time or you are overqualified. Or you need to do something different. Mm. So we then um, started to work with employers. And so we had the opportunity to work with Max and Spencers. Okay. A very brilliant one to have on your book. That was, that was great, actually. Because we worked with the regional manager and worked with, uh, you know, uh, different Max and Spencers across the west of Scotland and the central belt. And what they were looking for was to diversify their workforce ethnically. And so we set about uh, providing training. First and foremost, this time, we wanted Max and Spencer to understand the value of the people that they were going to bring into the workspace. And that gave, uh, we'd been doing diversity and inclusion training. At that point, people were talking about diversity, but not ethnic diversity. And so we started doing ethnic diversity and that led us to see and to really think about how we understand intercultural competence and how we understand ethnic diversity in Scotland. And so we set about placing 90 candidates within um, Marks and Spencer's some of whom are still working many years on in Maths and Spencers, which is fantastic. But that led us to work, uh, to engage with the construction industry. It led us to engage with Scottish government. So we are now really focused on uh, supporting uh, Scotland to understand culture, culture differences, but also to look at ethnic diversity. And so Michael sits uh, on, actually, we, we have... Um, we have a workshop coming up that will be looking at um, how we engage, but how I think you might, you might, I'll leave Michael to say something about that. But he sits on a board that is looking at anti-racism in Scotland. We're doing quite a bit of work with, uh, with different organizations and coming from not being accepted to a place where we are now um, um, working in a way that there is so much work going into how we understand racism, how we look at institutional and cultural racism. Um, I think I can say it's challenging, but I'm thankful to be in a space where we can now speak about it in a way that we bring about change. So our work really sits in that arena and um, um blessed and thankful to be doing an, um, a PhD as an anti-racism scholar 
and doing it with the James McEwen Smith uh, Scholarship at Glasgow University, which is also about reparation. Very full circle. Yes, it's really come full circle. It's, it's that thing where what, you know, what was supposed to be the greatest challenge brought so much light into it. Mm. And they want to, uh, I want to hone in into that because the time when we came to Scotland, we didn't have the networks, we didn't have the relationships, we didn't, we were not allowed to work. Um, and so we, we moved from London and came to Scotland. And in Scotland, we were starting from zero. At the time, we had two little ones. The older one was three. Um, Fiona was seven months pregnant. And, and so we spent... It's a period of time going door to door, seeking for help. Those days, those years, there were no food banks. So um, tell me any organization that looks after children. Our kids were born in the UK, but because of the category we were in, we didn't tick a box. No. So every organization that we went to couldn't support us purely because we didn't tick a box. And as, as challenging as that was, it gave us an opportunity to think if we have been in the country for quite some time, we've got the experience and we're going through this, how many more people might be? And so um, I managed, um, I managed to, we, we, joined, uh, we joined the church because we're Christians. So we joined the church and I started volunteering. And uh, through that, um, they, they do leadership courses. And I managed to get a scholarship to do that leadership course. And in the second term, they give you an opportunity to, to do anything that you're passionate about. And the nearest group to us was asylum seekers and refugees. And so I chose to put on a meal um, for the asylum seekers and refugees. And then when we did that, we got about 50 people that turned up uh, for this meal. And uh, we did a questionnaire asking them, what would you like the church to do for you? Interestingly, overwhelmingly, the answer, the response that we got back was, we want a place to belong. Now, these were people, some of them had been in Scotland for longer. They had the skills, they had the qualifications, but they were very far from the labor market. And the, I think one of the things that is really um, frustrating in Scotland is that we know there's a skills shortage and we have people who have got skills and qualifications from our communities, but yet they still struggle to get into that labor market. And so um, I got this response and took it back to the leaders and said, this is the response I've got out of this. Um, and at the time, we we're not allowed to work. Uh, but because I was passionate about it and uh, it was my... Um, baby. <laughs> yes, they told me to just go ahead with it. Yeah. So I was initially I was frustrated and all, but how are we going to fund this? Because obviously we're not allowed to work. We don't have the money yet. So I go back to Fiona and uh, tell her, and um, we're like, oh, we scratch our heads. What are we going to do? Anyway, we decided, you know what? Let's have an, a monthly event. I'm talking 2007, 2008. So we start this initiative in the church. And every month, we run this initiative. But the way we used to fund it is everyone contributed something. 
you know, you bring like a potluck. So yeah, it could be yeah, like yeah. A, a potluck. So yeah, so everyone brings something. Someone will bring uh, the rice. Another person will bring chicken. Another one will bring some drinks and things like that. And at the end of the day, interestingly, sometimes that was our dinner. Um, so we did that for a period of five years, and every year we reached about hundred people. We had ten volunteers. And so we get to the point where we have now identified the need in the community. We know where the gaps are exactly, but it's still difficult for us to push it forward. And so when we were granted our leave to remain in 2012, we were like, let's go and get the jobs. We are now allowed to go and work. No. We had that gap of that five gap. years. Yeah. Um, but interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that word interesting. So everywhere you take your CV, they look at your CV and they see the five-year yeah. gap. Five year gap. And, and uh, you know, they're like, yeah, it's very interesting and all that will get back to you. And um, surprise, surprise, no one gets back to you. So we're in this kind of situation for a period of six months. And we were like, but hold on a second. We know we've tried out something and we know there's a gap. Why can't we go back and, and do that? And we had been in Scotland and gone to different organizations and seen their services. And to be honest with you, some of the services they were providing were not so, you know, yeah. Um, and uh, there was a negativity on the support that they were providing. Um, I think that's one thing I really appreciate about um, your approach. And in fact, one of the synergies we have is something you touched upon is changing it. But the problem is not that I'm an asylum seeker or a refugee. It it has to do with way more than that. There yes. is, there's a lot of systemic issues, there's yes. structural issues yes. here. So it's not just the refugee that needs educating. Yes. There is a whole system as well that yes. needs to be made aware and yes. understand so that the support can be holistic. Exactly. Yes. And the labeling, yes. my goodness, yes. is is so destroying. So setting up Radiant and Brighter we were intentional in terms of we're going to do something different, we're going to do something that has got some positivity to what we are doing. Um, and initially when we said the our organization is going to be called Radiant and Brighter, people will say, oh, is it a, uh, an electricity company? And we're like, yeah, it's an electric because we're going to just <laughs> or, or if you were in Uganda, they would think it was a brightening product. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're listening to the Grow Your Money podcast. We'll be right back after giving our partners a well-deserved shout-out. Calling all partners, join the Grow Your Money challenge. We're excited to present our incredible sponsors who believe in empowering individuals and communities on their financial journey. Discover their services and join us in creating a brighter financial future. Featuring the Royal Bank of Scotland, your trusted banking partner with a rich heritage and comprehensive financial services. Explore their online banking at www.rbs.co.uk. Gift Round, make group gifting a breeze. Celebrate special occasions together with colleagues, friends, and family. Create a gift round at giftround.co.uk and show your appreciation. Radiance and Brighter, promoting diversity and economic participation in migrant communities. Get involved with their innovative practices at radianceandbrighter.com. Rooted Finance, 
Struggling with debt or financial exclusion? Rooted Finance provides free money and debt advice services to put you on the path to financial freedom. Join the Grow Your Money Challenge in this transformative journey toward financial growth and resilience. Visit moneymatics.com to get involved today. But that's so how we... But Ali, days then look like with you, you know, you've not been in work, you've got to live to remain, but there's a big gap in terms of, you know, no one's, you're interesting, your CVs are interestingly gappy. <laughs> you've set up the organization. How do you navigate the financing for that? Because that is, I mean, that is, I know you've mentioned the potlucks and that, but what does the financial side of things look like? And then I'm going to ask you another question around how do you then overcome the barriers, because I'm assuming there's a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, racism and all these things that are going on, especially the moment you say you're supporting asylum seekers and refugees, surely that was a whole other thing to navigate. Yes, I, I, and, and that's, that's the thing. When we started, and even now, there was funding, okay, from different structures like uh, from from institutions and from funding charities and organizations. But when you've just started and you're black, all other, it's a a completely different ballgame. You're playing on a different field. Yes, because first of all, what do you know? So we had lived experience, but at the same time, you're not trusted. So you're told, do you know, we went to, um, we, we applied for funding, so this is a quite an interesting story. Interesting. We went to a particular institution that I will that will remain unnamed, but their purpose was to fund to create uh, equitability. Okay, to ensure that uh, people from minoritized communities and groups are better supported. Uh, to engage and to be part and part of the society. I think the focus was on equality, not equitability. Yeah, equality. Equality, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then... Because those two are different. Yes, that's true. That's true. So, yeah. What is the difference? We'll go get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but e- e- equality basically is about each of us uh, starting from the same level, from the same level, and being cre- uh, being supported the same way or being treated the same. Equity is ensuring that there is a step up for those that have come from a lower level or from a different perspective to reach that same level, so that when you provide the services, they're equitably reaching the people. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's a, a, a diagram in one of your workshops is in there yes. that you have that demonstrates someone on a ladder, yes. someone on two ladders, yes. someone that would be yeah. um, equitability. Exactly. And then equality is when there's no fence in front of them. Everyone is on the same level, but looking. Yes. Yes. It's a brilliant diagram. Yes. You should probably it, share it. On this. <laughs> I should say we didn't make it, but we use it yeah. in, in, your, yeah. Yeah. in your brilliant training. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So. In that regard, we went to them and we said, okay, so we're supporting migrant communities and, you know, and would you believe it? They said to us, you're too small. Mm. Too small? I thought that's the point. We are small. We need you to support us. But they said we were too small. That's how much, you know, trusted by funding entities. And I think we need to rethink what funding really means. And what, how funding is um, 
how funding is used to support communities and organizations. And I know that research shows that um, black or black founders and black founded organizations and companies are not likely to get funding. In fact, they are left behind because there is a lack of trust. Uh, there is that element of, you know, you're high risk. But I think that is something that we need to be looking at and thinking about. So our early days were very difficult. We spent six years with no real funding. I think we had, uh, we had I must say, we had some some funding, maybe 5,000 here, 10,000 there. But then we were not allowed to fund uh, our own wages or yeah. any prices. Yeah. And that's difficult because you're thinking, hang on a minute. Yes, people will eat, but who's going to serve them the food? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, people will get the services, but where are we going to operate from? I hear you. In fact, I was having this very conversation with a, a good friend of mine talking about how um, some of the funding that's available for charities and third sector organizations is crippling mm. because it's designed to provide microwave. It's a microwave solution that does not embed real change or real change because what I mean by that is if you're giving me funding to, to pay for the meals, but I'm not able to, to pay my wage, I'm not, you're not making helping me be sustainable. And if I'm giving them a meal but not upskilling them to be able to get into work, what the point was what was the point of the meal in the first place? So the funding sometimes can be very crippling. You're quite right. But also the, the other aspect where the, the there will be funding for um say for example supporting people to get into employment. Okay. And yes, it's clear that there are certain communities that constantly struggle to get into employment and you come up with this idea of supporting those communities into employment, you even demonstrate it and you still not get it. So, and in the long run, that funding, they, they, it's like um, they, are, they are big players who are constantly, day in, day out, they're the ones that get that funding. No challenges, no questions. No questions, nothing. It's too small. Yes. Better not be yes. anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, for you as a black-led organization, you're constantly struggling to make ends meet and all that. And the worst bit is even those mainstream organizations coming to claim to partner with you, but still don't value what you're, you're bringing. So constantly it's a, a struggle. Um, but I think for us, we are really passionate about what we are doing. And we know that there is a gap. So at the end of the day, it's not, we're not just doing it for the sake of money. It's a bigger picture that we're looking at. Uh, we know that people from our communities actually, when supported into some of these opportunities, there's a long-term outcome or impact. So yes, the money is good. And yes, we need the money. But it's something bigger. And we're always striving to work towards that. This is interesting because it's going to lead into my next question, which is around navigating the ecosystem. But one value that, that you guys and I share very strongly and that I have to commend is um, quality of work. I think um, it's something that both of us are really, really particular about. And over the years, because these days, everyone seems to be a race equality expert. Everyone is saying that they're doing diversity and equality training. 
it's like, and again, sadly, because there's no other opportunities in the space. So when you go out and you're trying to start up a business, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm finding that people are struggling to differentiate themselves and therefore you're having to to be a race equality expert of some sort, which is really sad and, and shouldn't be the case. Um, but to navigate the system, one of the things that, that I think will stand the test of time, even against all the injustice, is quality of work. Because I really want us to come to a point where we are questioning, I've put in a bid, shouldn't it should be at the same level and quality as everyone else? How have I not been given that opportunity to lead on race and equality work when I am not only lived experience, I'm a scholar, I have the expertise, I've been doing this for over 10 years. How did I not, how did I not come to the table, you know? I think one of the things that we have to understand when it comes to that is something the system is designed that way. Um, uh, and, and, and as a community, sometimes we don't even understand that. So when we, we, when we get into this space of delivering services, um, the system kind of is designed to, to sometimes identify who is on their side, who understands um, uh, their side. So you who is going to stand up and challenge the system is constantly left behind. Um, you who has got the experience and, and lived experience um, is kind of sidelined um, and they look, they identify people who can dance with them, if you like. Um, and, and so it doesn't matter what skills you have, what qualifications, as long as you're just going to come and challenge us and all that. Despite the fact that they, they keep saying, we want, we want you to challenge us or keep challenging the system, they don't, they, actually they don't. So we have to understand that sometimes that's how the system is designed to, yeah. to operate. Yeah, and I think, I think the, the, the challenge that we have when we're working as we are is that we have the challenges in our, within ourselves because we have the challenges of finding ourselves in a situation where, first of all, you're trying to make it work, you're in a new place, you're, you're hitting barriers, you're, you're trying to leave, you're managing your personal finances, you're managing organizational finances and structures and systems and you're learning. And then there is the systemic issues, you know, where you're questioned, you, you're, not, you're not valued, you, you have to validate yourself. I mean, I must, I must admit, uh, I, I said, you know, we, we sat down, we talked about it, and we knew I needed to go and do the PhD. Because if I do the PhD, because a lot of times when we talk, it's like we're just having that conversation. Maybe they have lived experience, but what, you know, do, do we really know? And there are people who know that what you're talking about is real. They, they, they value it, they appreciate it. But then there are also those that don't value it, don't appreciate it. And so going to do the PhD was, was to say, look, I'm, we're not just talking about these things. There's evidence. There is, there is knowledge and it shows and, it's, it's, and there is not enough written academically about the way Scotland behaves in terms of racial equality and, and anti-racism and all that. It's there. We talk, we're now talking about it, but it's not there. And I think, and there are some organizations and some spaces where it's starting to become a thing. I must say, you know, we've just had a partnership uh, with, uh, with BEST and Innovation 
uh, organization within the construction uh, the construction sector where we know this shortage of skill um, and also we know that they really need people to get into the construction industry and we've had a partnership training um, quite a number of uh, Balfour BT uh, staff members, uh, senior managers as well, which is fantastic. And I think change is going to come. So organizations and Scotland and the ecosystem needs to catch up. We have a partnership with Codebase who have the biggest tech scaler uh, um, contract right now. And so really we need to be looking at anti-racism differently, but also um, the the anti-racism observatory is being is is coming on board, which Michael has been a part of. And so we really need to be thinking about how we do this work. But as you said, we are keen that whatever we do, and I don't know whether this is something that is fair, but whatever we do has to be done to a very high quality. We just don't have an option. And it's a theme to do that. <laughs> and we don't have money. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to pick up on that because I'm really, really keen to see where it goes with the code best, you know. Um, and again, from a selfish point of view, I mean, just just to have uh, an ethnic minority business as part of that tech scaler journey is going to be really interesting. And I have said uh, many times on camera and off camera that I'm really keen to see the equitability of that in itself, of, of your partnership. Is Are you equitably at the table and how does that pan out? Because really and truly... We do need organizations like that at the, you know, at the table. And, but being at the table is different from being given, a, you know, the, the, the spoon. And it's being di different from being given the food to eat as well. So are you at the table? Are you properly at the table and eating from it? And I will tell you that after I've seen it play out, because I'm really keen as well to, to see that. And it's a brilliant thing that you're involved in that. But I'm really hopeful that it's equitable and, and you know, value adding, because you bring so much value to how that work's done. So we've done, we've worked with Codebase uh, for since 2020, and so this uh, it's naturally led onto this. And um, I mean, they 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 came to become an anti-racist. Uh, you can't be anti-racist. That's a, that's a whole other story. But you become anti-racism is a journey. So they are looking at anti-racism within their own organization and within the ecosystem. And we are um, we are keen to see um, how the partnership develops, but. Um, really looking forward to the work that's coming up in the next few years. Um, yeah, so and and it's really great because that's funded by Scottish government. So it really needs to be something that. Yeah, but I wanted to go back on the point of um, uh, how the system sometimes plays us uh, because sometimes it's a divide and rule. Um, so, so um, again, you know organizations and people from our communities will want come up with ideas and um, innovations and brilliant things that they're doing, but they will tend to put one against the other. Um, and so sometimes after being in this for quite some time, we, we are, we, you know, you, you just see who they are picking on and give them a grace period of, a, you know, six months, one year. <laughs> After that, they 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 they, they, they yeah they leave you and then pick someone else. Oh, the, the, um, the Nigerian hairstyle, pick and drop. Yes, yes, pick and drop. exactly. <laughs> um, but but sometimes as a community, we have failed to even understand that. So the moment um, a founder uh, comes to you and says, "There's twenty thousand here," 
you think, aha, I'm, I'm the new kid on the block. I'm going to do A, B, C, D. And yes, you're going to do it, but it's going to be for a short yeah. period of time. With no sustainability. Exactly, before, exactly. Yeah. So and we need to... point this is really important that I'm putting it out there. We really need an accountability structure to, to have a very clear criteria of how funding is being allocated. What is that criteria being applied across the board? And to be able to safely call out when situations go wrong. Yeah. So if I recognize that I'm being picked and dropped and it's in an unfair way, where do I report it? Exactly. Because when I'm a small organization and yes, I've been picked and dropped, I've realized it. What am I supposed to do next? Yeah. That in itself is racist, yeah. but I have no clue how to navigate that. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm barely trying to breathe. And sometimes you know? the systems and processes are not there yeah. to address that. Yeah, yeah. You don't know where to report it. Yes. You don't know how to navigate. Yes. Yes. So this segues into my next question is how how have you used failure to leverage, you know, what you're doing and, and your business? Because for sure, you guys have been on one heck of a journey. I mean, when, when you talk anti-racism, <laughs> you breathe it because you've, you've literally, you've lived every step of this journey genuinely. I think so. And I, I just wanted to tap into you and, and the audience to understand how you've, you've used uh, failure? I think for us it is, first and foremost, uh, I had a wake-up experience, a wake-up call, um, where we, we had been in the business a long time. And this must have been about maybe three, maybe three, four years ago. We, I went somewhere, I was asked to, uh, to chair uh, a group of women talking about the experiences. Uh, I was co-chairing with somebody. And I met women that are fit to be my mother. And I am not young. I'm not saying my age, but I'm not young. <laughs> you don't get a day over 15 for you. That's why I keep coming back to you. Too. Yeah, but in that time, I sat down with these women for, I think it was about two hours session. And there was there were experts on um, on lived experience and the things that we were talking about that we are talking about now. They had been there. They had tried to do this. They had children that were about my age, slightly younger, some of them, but about my age. And I realized we are not the first. We are not the first. Yeah. Quite right. And we will not be the last. And so I think for me, the way we deal with failure is we've had, there've been moments, and I, I say this to organizations and businesses, that you were totally blessed if you don't have a moment when you're shaken to the point of near breakdown of the whole company. How many times? I know. <laughs> if it hasn't come before, it will come at the third year mark. It will come at the fifth year mark. It will come around about the eighth. Something will shake you up and you will find yourself in a situation where you have been challenged. That One of our greatest challenges was when we found ourselves in, um, I think we'd, we'd taken on, uh, we were renting from a particular organization and we had a small space. We had a little office that we worked from. And one day they woke up and decided they wanted to do exactly what we were doing. And it, they literally started services that we were doing. And your landlord. Yes. Oh, dear. They, li they literally woke up and the next 
room, they had assigned their state language classes. We were doing language classes. Then we realized when people would come and register at the entrance, they would register them as their clients. It's a whole other story. But what what happened? How do you even report that? You don't. You have nowhere to report Yeah. So we sat down and then... And the worst bit is when it's your community. Yes. Yes. But the worst bit was they then said to us that the training rooms were not available to us anymore because they were using them. And so... We had to pay for training rooms, but we had to book them. And we had people who came nearly every day for training. And we, we said, hang on a minute. You told us we could train. You know, we've been doing this. What, what's happening? And naturally, of course, we couldn't be in that space anymore. But imagine you've just started. We've been in there about a year. We went into another premises. This time, the premises were by a main institution. And guess what? We walked, we got in, paid our rent, were very excited. And then they slapped us. Um, what was it? Service turn. That was twice <laughs> higher than the rent. <laughs> and, and we were now all good for three times the rent as in service charge. For the business rate? For the No, it wasn't even business rate. It was just service charge for the premises. Were you in contract? Yes. And that is, that was a wake-up call. We had signed the contract, but the contract said for every square something, with this amount of service trade, we hadn't understood that. That was our first point of near failure because we had to come out. Would you recover from that? Oh, well, it's tough. it was tough. It was tough because we came out of the premises to try and save money to pay back. Because we were instantly in debt because the service charge also came three months later. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so, thankfully, and so here's the thing. Three months backlog. Yes. Of a service charge you were aware of. Yes. And you're barely getting contracts through the door. Yes. That takes a tough skin. Yes. And we were shaken. I mean. So, you keep doing uh, all this and delivering the services. Yes. And you meet organizations who come to you and they're saying, oh, whatever you're doing is brilliant. But when you come to paying for the services, no one wants to touch their pocket. And then free service. Yes. 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 Oh, the the one that gets me is when it's like we're going to profile you. It gives you a good profile. Yes, (laughs) yes. And you're like, that profile won't won't pay for this sustainability. Does not put food in my belly. Exactly. Neither does it serve the clients. Exactly. (laughs) So how we came back from that, interestingly. And I mean really interesting, not the interesting, the other one. What we had was somebody I had met in business. We met, I met the person at an event and told them we were, we had no premises anymore. And the person said, hang on a minute, we have premises which we don't use during the day. Do you want to try and use those? And they gave us their premises and they said, you can pay. It's a small amount of money, but really it's insignificant. And we just were in those premises for a period of time. And then, so from a connection you had made. From that connection, that was the first connection. The second connection was a man we had tried to talk to for ages. Michael had been chasing him for years. And then one day we met him and he he asked to, to meet us. He was the CEO of one of the big social enterprises. 
And he came and we came and we met him and he said he, they wanted to do some partnership work with us. And we were like, fantastic. And at the end of the meeting, he said, is there anything else I can do for you? And we said, well, we're looking for premises. And he said, oh, okay. I've got a, I've got a building out there. It's not doing anything. Brilliant. You can, you can bring, you can come and get into it. Do you know what he did? We were going on holiday. When we came back, he got, um, he got removers to move us, bring us to the premises. He knew what he was doing, but he was fantastic. He brought us in. He gave us the premises. They were not really being used. They became active once we got in there. He did not charge us for rent for a solid year. It was one year. But after that year, we paid rent for a solid five years. Wow. So wow. he'd invested in us. He'd invested and we gave you How brilliant. But also the other thing that we did during that period is um, most of the people that came to us were able to access his services wow. as well. As because they were also service providers. Collaboration. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, so there are ways How of... amazing. Yeah, there are so ways of networking, doing Networking, right? Yes. Having the right network yeah. and having great collaboration. Yeah. I have yeah. to say, I'm really, I, I could not agree more. Um, having the right people who have that shared understanding of what value looks like. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I think that is one of the missing links in Scotland. Um, when it comes to people from racialized communities bringing up ideas, we, we haven't seen a good collaboration where people are supported to do great things as they should. Um, so work is still done on surface level, but we need to get to another level where actually what we're bringing is valued and therefore recognized. And I think what he did that was different to what we'd experienced before, he valued us. He didn't do it as if he was just helping us. He invited us in as partners. He valued us. Exactly. And sooner or later, we were now paying customers. Absolutely. And I think the key thing, you know, that you've mentioned there is sustainability. Having that vision to say, if I invest now, if I do this now, it's going to pay tenfold. I mean, it's, it's the same. It's the rule of, of growth, isn't it? You, you get tenfold from that. Brilliant. Brilliant. What has been the, the biggest lessons or the biggest takeaways from, for you, from you and your journey? Uh, but before we go into that question, I want to know, so currently speaking, who are you? What's your client base? If, if I was to give you, uh, I was to give you, we're Christian, so we'll use a Bible. I go, I'll go and give you a Bible and say, there you go. Say what you'd like for the business in the next three years? What, what's your customer profile? What, you know, how, do, how do people engage with you? Mm. I think the, 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 the way we look at it is two-sided. Uh, we, have, um, we, have, we look at our community as our customers, but we also look at um, the Scottish community as our customers as well. And when I say Scottish community, um, I mean public, private, and third sector. Um, because, again, as I said before, most of the people within our communities have got the skills and qualifications to get into the labor market. So I think our communities are our customers, and then the Scottish communities also are customers in terms of public, private, and, and mm. that sector. And I, I think, I think we, in saying that, we've also uh, got now um, uh, the industries where 
they need to diversify. Yeah. So, so you were talking about the construction sector. Yes. You know, we've worked with Taylor Wimpe before. We, we're now working with Balfabeti. Um, we, we're looking at uh, public sector agencies as well because they themselves need to diversify their workforce. We, the demographics have changed in Scotland. There's so many people coming from different parts of the world now. And uh, we're quite a number now. So it will be really important because we have, we provide um, workforce diversification training, but we also provide anti-racism and intercultural competence training. We know, I don't need to go into the details, but we now know how people in the public arena can get themselves into a pickle saying the wrong things to black people, saying the wrong things in the wrong space. Asking so, the wrong questions. Do you know what racism is? Why are you saying I'm, go- I'm going to do anti-racism? If I ask you what is racism, do you know what it is actually? Why are you working with people without knowing their value? Because in the end, we are, it's a global community now. And so with our intercultural competence training, we're really targeting organizations that are, that are majority white organizations that need to be thinking about their language, how they engage, who they engage. Globally, what does that look like? We are in a world where younger people now want to be recruited in organizations where they're represented and where they are valued and with ethics. So what are your ethics? You know, can you actually say you're inclusive when you have nobody that looks like the people you reach? You know, I dare not go into, you know, where we have charities and and, and institutions that have historically gone to African countries uh, with, with their NGOs and yet, the people that sit at the top are all white. We are the experts of the community. You know, so our target audience is really to hone in on organizations that want to remain relevant. And is it a holistic service? So you see, you come into me, you provide the training, do you do the recruitment as well? So it's a holistic service. So if I'm looking, for example, to increase my talent pool, you guys will come and you'll train us on how to, I suppose, welcome the new people. And you'll go ahead to help us to source your talent source and, and, and place as well. Yes, we'll talent source, we'll place, but more importantly, and the starting point is the culture of your organization. What does it look like when I walk in there? Do I feel welcome? But beyond that, will I be able to grow within your culture? Or am I going to be met with microaggressions? Am I going to be met with uh, that lack of value? You know, and also, what's the point of recruiting somebody if you're not going to use their potential completely and fully? And so we, we do the whole holistic approach. But first and foremost, we want to work with your team, with your staff, and create a culture that allows for everybody to run. So oh, amazing. I suppose they should be, you should start getting it certified. Because if my organization goes through that, yes. surely, surely I should be, you know, certified to say I've gone through this training. And that will soon become a badge for people. When I'm um, the teenager, because I can tell you that my daughter wouldn't be asking that question. You have a stamp to say, yep, you're going to be treated nicely because guess who was here? Radiant and brighter. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not even just recruitment. Recruitment, training and recruitment and being anti-racist. And th- those are just start points. It's a long process, as Fiona highlighted. It's the recruitment, the retention and the progress. So... And sometimes organizations just do the recruitment and they do recruitment without addressing the culture of the organization. 
Um, and so when people are recruited, very quickly they're out of the of, of the organization because in the organization there's a lot of friction and, and the culture hasn't been uh, looked at and the systems and processes haven't been looked at. So it's, it's that recruitment, that retention, and that progress. How are people progressing? When they come in, how are you retaining them? And when you're retaining them, are they still given the opportunity to reign through the ranks? Um, so that at the end of the day, you, you're not just having a lot of people on the shop floor and no one at the table. Um, and we need to move away from organizations bringing in uh, some person that they think will just uh, make them look good to deliver a five-hour uh, no, no, five hours. No, 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 breeze. five hours is so, is so. Two hours. No, 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 30 minutes. You know, we'll have a break. You know, we have a lunch break between one and two. Can you come in lunch and deliver? And yeah, come and deliver diversity <laughs> training for 30 minutes. Yeah. Um. So that, that is, oh, that is not effective. What you're saying is music to my ears. I've yeah. been banging one. And if you go to my LinkedIn, it's riddled with this measurement, you know? There's all this measurement around hubs, for example, and, and success rates and female entrepreneurship. You're telling us that 100 people have come through the pipeline. How many are staying in that pipeline? How many are being retained and how many are succeeding at a high rate? Because that's when you measure success. You don't measure how many came through the pipeline. It's how many you managed to retain. Even when you're running a business, you measure profitability on what's left after course. But when it comes to measuring these statistics, they suddenly are measuring, oh, we had 10 people come through the organization. Yeah. Absolutely not. But also you could even take it further when it comes to that. Give me a breakdown of that number of people that have come through. So it's not just women. Give me the breakdown of the women that have come through. Because at the end of the day, again, when we just have this blanket ban of diversity, yes, women came through. But if I ask for specific numbers of people from, say, for example, the black community, we didn't have any, or we had two. So what happened? They have black people. Yeah. They have racialization where they have only those that uh, appear to be closer to the white skin. So they are light skin. They <laughs> won't take the dark. That's, a new, light that's a new term that I learned from you guys. <laughs> so I'd never had this term. And then I found, oh, yeah, so I qualify for this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was very new. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I assume that something there is another level of those who pass. Correctly, she said, well, I'm even not the real. Yeah, yeah. there are others who pass because they are mixed race and they look more white. Yeah. So that's a whole other story. And yeah. we have it here as well, where they will take people that are more, you know, leaning towards in their, in their outlook. Yeah. You know, so if... <laughs> God help you. If you are black, you have an African accent, you are a Muslim, and you're wearing a hijab, you know, so, <laughs> and you're dark skinned. It's like you have too many barriers, yeah. you know, so yeah. we really need to You're not familiar at, at all. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Thank you so much. It's been very, we've unpacked some heavy, heavy, heavy conversation there. What resources um, have you found most useful on your journey? And what advice do you have for, um, I, I, in your case, I'll specifically, I, I typically ask founders any advice for new startups, but in your case, I'll ask specifically around ethnic people moving to the UK, trying to start a business. What resources or advice would you have for them in closing? I think there's a lot 
there are a lot of resources. First of all, there are places you can go and learn. But for me, the greatest resources within our communities. And uh, much as we have challenges and we still have a way to go, find people in your community. Do not assume, regardless of what level you get to, regardless of how good you were, do not assume you were the first. Learn from those that have gone before you. And when I say learn, find people that you can, you know, um, that speak or your tribe. When I say tribe, not in terms of language, but your that have a that are in your space that you're looking to take up. Don't underestimate them. Don't look them down. Don't undervalue them because those people know what you are going to face, and there you go back to. So even though there is the other element of what you do and you, I always think that having a space where I can come back to and speak to people who understand what I'm going through and that I can share with and we can talk and think about how to navigate the system because the greatest challenge is to think that bringing in your money and your expertise is going to get you farther than everybody else because really, no matter who you are, even when you're Barack Obama, you are still going to get to a stage where, hey, you're black. And guess who is there to support you and help you understand what a system is about? It will be the black people. It will be the community that you find. It will be the friends. We have friends that are not black, but by all means, kind of understand that there are certain challenges that need to shift. They may not understand exactly your challenges, but they are go-to people. So for me, have a community around you because that's where it all begins. And when push comes to shove, that's where you are held together. That's what pieces you together. Very interesting. Very, very true. You're not the first. It's like back to business 101. There is always competition. There, you're not the first one to come up with this. You're not the first one to try and tackle these issues. So go to those who be before you who have. Brilliant. Yeah. Michael? I think, I think for me, again, just to build on to what Fiona said, I think, yeah, um, our communities is a very good resource because going back to what I said earlier, sometimes finding the right support out there when we go out there can be difficult. It can be challenging because, you you know, the way people perceive you, the way that community, your community, you know, in, um, in, in Scotland, we know it as being a, a welcoming country and treachery is welcoming. But where it becomes difficult is when you start to actually want to find your fit. Um, that then becomes, starts to become complicated because, yeah, because uh, you start, again, going back to our story, you start to ask for support, thinking, you know what, my children were born here. They, they should be an organization that supports them. No. Um, and that can be frustrating. So, um yeah, I think uh, guess <laughs> did I touch it now there? <laughs> you think to say something from what you've said? Yeah, go on, go on then. See, Scotland is beautiful, right? It's like the sea. Yeah, the sea is beautiful. You can sit by by the seaside, by the shore, and you look and you think, "Wow, serenity." If you don't know how to swim and you get in. Yeah. 
you go on. You're done. You're done. Your means. You need to understand the sea. You need to know how to swim. You can't just step in because it's beautiful. You need to think about it. Oh, wow. That's such a good way to put it. <laughs> have the right equipment, have the yes. have the paddleboard. Have the right skills, yeah. you know, and understand the, right the sea. Find the right trainers just in case you don't know how to, to swim. Um, because sometimes people will just throw you in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so advice for those who are new is find the right people. Surround yourself mm. with the right people. Yeah, which is not always easy. but Which is not, yes. Picking it. Yes, and I think for me, again, having these discussions is critical because, again, um, we, we don't have these spaces. We don't talk about these issues enough for other people to, to be aware. So find the right people around you, um, people who are going to um, inspire you, challenge you, but also direct you in the in the, in the right way. You know that thing where they say, you know, the conversation starts at the end. Yeah, um, just to sit. I'm thinking humility. Humility is key because when you have humility, you attract the right people. Yeah. And I think sometimes coming in feeling like I know, yeah. you know, you know, people kind of push back. Yeah, you know, they sit back and wait and watch. When you have humility, you know, you attract the right people to. Yeah. Which is where I think failure comes in. Sometimes you need to fall down a few times. In my case, I had to fall down a few times and be like, oh, hang on. I'm not quite as good at swimming in the thing as I used to be. Let me go and find out. That's a difference. a very different sea that I'm carrying in. Absolutely. A brilliant point to end. And thank you so much. It's been such an amazing pleasure. We'll do a lot more of this. You know, you're going to host many of the Grey Money Challenge podcasts, so putting it out there. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. We are so thankful for you. We do this for you, so please keep watching. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Money podcast. If you're looking to take actionable steps toward achieving your financial goals, visit moneymatex.com. That is money, M-A-T-I-X.com. And join our free Grow Your Money Challenge. Let's unite in the movement to inspire people to talk about money. Thank you for being a part of our community. We'll see you in the next episode.